The Insurance Brokers Podcast is brought to you by Sarah Myerscoff of Boston Tullis. Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerscoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. Good morning, David. Thank you so much for joining me this morning on the Insurance Brokers Podcast. I'm really excited to have you here and uh, about the conversation we're about to have. So welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Big pleasure to be here. Would you like to start? I'm sure many, many people in the industry know the name David Perry. Do you want to give us a bit of background as to who you are and, and where your career has taken you? Of, of course. I, I'm, I'm getting old now, so I won't go all the way back, Sarah, <laughs> but uh, um, <clears throat> maybe I'll go back to um, the, the, the late 90s and early 2000s when um, we sold our broker, Warren Hill, to uh, what became the Towergate world. Um, my, my broker... Uh, was predominantly uh, involved with the Federation of Small Businesses at, at the time. And that's a, a relationship that uh, I have again uh, recently. Uh, during my, my Towergate years, um, it was uh, an interesting learning curve. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I was the retail sales director for uh, Towergate. Uh, I then went to work with uh, Michael Ray and firstly Tim Johnson on establishing CCV, where um, I gained a huge amount of experience in acquisition. I think our record in one year was 26 uh, in 12 months. Um, and uh, more recently, um, I've been working with the FSB again because in 2017, 2018, they decided that they'd like to set their own advisory business up supported by an external investor. So I've become uh, the managing director of a startup uh, small insurance broker. So um, my, my career over uh, a, a lot of years has taken me all around the broking industry um, and uh, uh, that probably um, I, I've seen most things over that time. But interestingly you've also got the perspective of sort of the big corporates and from a startup journey and they're very very different mindsets aren't they? But, yeah very different indeed and um, you know, w working with the Federation of Small Businesses in a past life and now, um, it sort of helps to have done your own thing uh, in the sense that you, you do understand that um, bills aren't going to be paid by the big checkbook in the sky. You know, you, you need to generate that income to pay the bills. The, there's no head office. There's no uh, sort of big brother that's going to come in and rescue you. So it's helpful to, to recognise that. But having said that, um, having worked in, in much larger organisations, I like to feel it gives us the experience uh, in setting the business up uh, and also, uh, you know, the relationships to, to, to perhaps help us punch a little bit above our weight and, and get the help we need to, to deliver for our customers. Absolutely. And your ex sort of professional experience extends to sitting on various boards and, and being involved in various uh, sort of uh, professional groups. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? It's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, I am a, I am a compulsive committee joiner. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have to admit it. You know, people have said it to me, and I, I okay, it's true. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, um, I've been involved with Bieber um, since my Warren Hill days, and, and that's because I felt it was really important for 
the smaller broker to be represented. Um, uh, Bieber's membership, probably 90% of members employ less than 20 people. And, you know, quite rightly, uh, Bieber get a lot of their support, help, advice from the bigger brokers. But, uh, and that's very valuable to the smaller firms. But um, the smaller firms, have we have our own issues, and it's important for, for those voices to be heard. So, yes, I have done my, my, my various duties with Bieber. I sat on the board for a little while when we reorganised how it worked, and that was quite fun. Uh, when Andy Homer uh, was in the chair. Um, I, I recently um, joined the uh, Insurance Brokers Standards Committee uh, where they, they asked me to get involved helping to write the start-up section because obviously as that committee was being formed I'd literally started a broker from, from scratch. And I'm also on the uh, what's become known as the SME Broker Advisory Panel uh, which it, it gives a voice uh, to all of those of us who are smaller brokers who are members of, of Bieber and, um, you know, get, gets the, the issues into the board that, that we're facing. Absolutely. Um, and I do think it's really important. And I did a, um, a podcast not that long ago with Steve White and we talked a little bit about compliance and a little bit about the, the kind of smaller broker as well. So I think that's fantastic. And I love the compulsive committee joiner. <laughs> well, that's me. That, that's me. And actually, to, to, be, to be fair, Steve, Steve White... Uh, Graham Truck Gill uh, and the team there um, do a huge amount of work that sort of goes unnoticed um, and particularly over the last year or so where um, brokers, particularly smaller brokers without in-house departments to, to deal with it have had to face all of the issues thrown at them that have, uh, you know, every small business has had to deal with uh, around COVID, around Brexit, all, all the other things. They've done a huge amount of work to to, to help us get through that and the issues that have, have been raised by, uh, by those situations. Mm, absolutely. Tell me a little bit about um, sort of the FSB, you know, your, the last three years of your startup journey. And I know that within the FSB, you guys do quite some interesting research on various different aspects of our industry. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, <clears throat> the, the FSB uh, was established uh, in, in 1974, and it, it was originally a sort of a, a, a trade union for the self-employed, was, was how they originally uh, described themselves. But they've grown and grown over the years and are now Britain's largest business organisation uh, in, in all respects, number of members, balance sheet, everything else. Um, they have around 165,000 members. The only thing that, that binds them together is that they're all small firms um, and... Uh, you have the, the whole sort of range of, of trades from architect to zoo across the whole of the country, uh, of, the, of the UK. So, you know, they really do represent the SME community uh, very, very strongly. They're well represented in Westminster. Uh, they're well represented in the devolved uh, parliaments as well. Um, and uh, they're a strong voice for small firms. We, we were asked to to set the business up because, they, as I said earlier, they wanted some ownership in their own advisory firm. Uh, they, they were a bit concerned that with the ongoing commoditization of SME business, uh, that there wasn't really um, a, a, an advisory platform um, uh, for many small firms uh, to, to, to actually talk about the more complex aspects of insurance uh, with the sort of drive to um, online business and, and so on. Um, so really they, they wanted to set something up that didn't have that sort of commercial prerogative to uh, perhaps 
look at the um, the, the profit and loss uh, as as the main uh, issue, but but wanted to uh, to invest in providing the advice. So so that's what we were set up to do, really. Um, you know, as a result, we, we do we, we've been heavily involved in all all of this the stuff that's been going on in the last year. But the 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 prevailing uh, issue is the hard market, um, and that's primarily because at the SME end. Um, that there isn't a huge amount of science in the way um, insurers tend to deal with it. You, you tend to find that um, rating increases are generic across the board, and you tend to find that the, the trades and the occupations and the activities that are on the periphery of acceptability, um, that, 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 that periphery starts to withdraw. So, um, you know, the, 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 the cases that maybe might have been in the grey area for a large composite be, become a decline area or become a, a, an issue with terms and conditions. So it's harder for a lot of SMEs to, to get cover. Um, and it, we did a little survey. Uh, we had around 500 respondents, which is a, a decent-sized sample, uh, we think. 75% uh, of them said that they'd seen a, a large increase in premium at renewal over the last year. Um, a third of them said that they'd seen uh, cover restrictions and a quarter had said that they, they'd had extra terms uh, imposed. So, um, you know, the, the general indication is that SMEs are finding it harder to, to get the right insurance at the right price at the moment. And within the SME base, are you noticing any particular um, trends with specific industries? Because SME is so broad. It is, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the main problem that, that lots of well-established SMEs have is that they, they diversify to survive. Um, so, you know, and this is one of the problems with um, uh, getting them the right advice. So an example uh, was um, we, we had a, a client that looked like a nice, easy, straightforward retail shop. Uh, and it was a, a business that basically was selling garden ornaments and all that sort of thing. Uh, and it turned out that the, the, the proprietor's partner had actually started manufacturing the ornaments in, in the back of the retail premises and another member of the family had started installing the ornaments um, and while they were installing the ornaments had decided that they could do a bit of landscaping. So what, what started as a simple shop, uh, which if you were sort of looking at an online platform maybe, you tap in your retail details and, and there isn't necessarily scope for that additional conversation, turned into a retail uh, manufacturer delivery groundwork landscaping business. Um, so, you know, quite often long-established SMEs, um, they, they are small but complex. And so that, that's what really makes it difficult in terms of the advice that needs to be provided. So what, given the, the complexity of what's going on in the market and the, the world, really, I suppose, um, and the fact that I think there's a huge increase in startups happening and going to happen uh, over the next five years what what do you think is going to happen with the market with the with the hardening pre premiums with the reducing capacity etc etc well sarah there's a question the million because, dollar question yeah it is isn't it because you know if, if you'd have asked me that question 15 years ago before the current soft market that's lasted 15 years started or, or however long it's been probably more than that i would have given you the stock answer of well 
every three or four years, the, the, the rates change. You know, the uh, ca capacity uh, reduces, rates go up, commissions go down. Uh, then suddenly um, everything changes, insurers start making a profit, more players dive in, uh, and, and the, the rates come back down again. But um, it's difficult to call, isn't it, now? Because um, for, for all we know, we could be on for another 15 years of hard market. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it's too early to say, I'm afraid. No, so I think that's really interesting. And I think, um, so I have this conversation with quite a few people trying to glean what the sort of the general... Uh, uh, perception of the next five years is and it, it's as you say it's anybody's guess isn't it it's um it's uh it's interesting but it does make the place for advice even more necessary oh very much so very much so and um, you know if if one of the big questions that, that we're asked on webinars now is um with regard to returning to work and the covid situation um, what, what, are my, what are my issues around uh, my liability cover? Am I covered? Aren't I covered? What do I need to do? Um, and, you know, the, 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 only, the only advice you can really give is the same that we've always given, which is provided you follow all of the reasonable steps that you would be ex expected to, provided you document your processes, provided you tell all your staff what those processes are and where to find them. If anything goes wrong, you know, you can prove that you've taken all of the steps that you need to take. But there's no cast iron guarantee uh, that, that there's ever going to necessarily be, uh, be, be cover in place, um, depending on the circumstances. So there's uncertainty. But um, I think the other thing that we're seeing a lot of is people changing their business model. So, uh, you know, giving people advice on um, perhaps uh, they're now delivering, they're now going into people's premises they never were before. Um, perhaps they've um, started to sell uh, the, on, on the internet. So um, their, uh, their, their wares, rather than being sold possibly to a very local community from a retail outlet, are being sold worldwide. And then you're having to explain to um, small firms who previously have been operating from a, a, a shop uh, the difference between geographical limits and jurisdiction. And, you know, that, that, that's a real, that's real nosebleed territory, isn't it? And, and so, you know, people's risks are changing. And, and the advice that, that we're giving um, most small firms is your insurer will base their cover on what they thought you were doing last time you told them. If what you're doing is different, you need to tell them. So, you know, that, that's sort of the best one-line piece of advice we can give most small firms who have adapted and changed through through the pandemic absolutely another trend that i see um and, and, and we use it ourselves because boston tullis are, are a small an sme um is this idea of the shamrock business model where you've got the core the core um sort of board i suppose or employee base but actually there's a lot of external contractors being used uh to facilitate um sort of core client work, I suppose. Um, and that has implications as well, doesn't it? Whereas you might not think somebody who's working full-time for you as a contractor versus an employee has very different implications. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that, that's, um, that's one that comes up regularly. One, one of the things that we do on our website for, uh, for FSB members is, is provide them with a lot of blog material uh, about all sorts of technical stuff like that. And you're absolutely right. More and more of them are using uh, contractors. And... Uh, even understanding the difference between a, a bona fide 
and a labour-only subcontractor, what your uh, insurance requirements are and so on. You know, it's just not something that's on their radar. Why would it be? You know, I need to do a job. That person over there can help me. I'll pay them some money and they'll do it. You know, the, 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 the second thing on their mind isn't, oh, I wonder if I'm insured. It's, that's good, I can get the job done. So, um, yeah, an important topic amongst many. And interestingly, um, you know, there, there, are, there are so many um, items on our website that surprises me that, it, that, it, that they get hit so often. Things like, um, you know, electrical wiring certification, uh, what the EL tracing office is. And you think, I can't believe that people are actually interested in this, but, you know, they, they, they need to know and, and they, they go there for information. So there you go. It just goes to show that the boring stuff's useful too. Having just, we're in the process of selling a property uh, and, uh, and it's currently tenanted. Um, we didn't have an electrical safety certificate. We didn't know we needed one. So having just literally been through that pain with thousands of pounds of uh, output, I would have read that article. <laughs> Sarah, it really sounds to me like you need to join the FSB if you haven't already. Let me just, uh, let me just tell you that. And do you know what? It was in my mind as you started speaking at the beginning. So Huge value. I'll get, I'll get the local representative to come and see you. <laughs> give me a call. All yeah. right. Sale done. Check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the SME um, community, lots of challenges, lots of opportunities too. Uh, let's have a little conversation around the opportunities for small brokers at the moment and how there might be a compliance angle to that. Yeah, I mean, so small brokers... Um, the, the, there are more setting up, which is which is a good thing. Um, the reason that uh, that, that Bieber uh, did their startup um, section to uh, the, the the guidance was because they were seeing more and more people that, that needed a bit of a template to work out. You know, what things do I need to do? What do I need to tick off? Um, I think there's more and more opportunity for. Um, smaller firms to specialise in certain areas because, as I said, you know, we've got these issues on the periphery. Um, that means that, that there, are, there are going to be certain specialist groups that need advice, need guidance. And I think that there are a number of specialists that are, that are doing that. Um, I think there are lots of um, specialist MGAs that, that are setting up as well, um, where the large composites are uh, dividing their, their time between uh, the sort of online uh, trading and the larger corporate, there's sort of a gap in the middle where the, the, there is smaller business uh, that needs underwriting, that the, the composites perhaps haven't got the, um, the, the, the wherewithal to, to, to tackle that the MGAs are, are, are benefiting from. But the other thing that we're looking at is, is regulation and, and the amount of time nowadays that is taken um, in, in that respect. So um, I, I also, um, through my connection with, with Bieber, now work uh, on the FCA's um, Small Business Practitioners Panel. And uh, that is giving a voice to um, the, the, the smaller um, financial services firms um, before uh, regulation is changed and, and adapted. Um, it's been a re really interesting place to be. Uh, one of the first things that, that I've done is to uh, get involved in a, a new uh, cross-panel with the consumer panel around the availability of PI insurance. Because, as you, you probably know, and I'm sure other guests have, have talked about, um, PI for brokers and across financial services generally is really, really difficult. It's expensive. 
Um, it's difficult to get all of the cover that you need. Um, and so uh, we've raised that um, with um, the FCA and, and talked about that, that issue. Um, there, there are other things that, that we have a voice on. Um, you know, the, the, the new changes to, uh, to consumer duty. Um, there's a very strong voice, not just from general insurance broking, but um, across the whole financial services industry saying, well, hold on a minute, FCA, why do you need this? We've already got principles six and seven, treating customers fairly. We've got the new SM and CR regime that has only really just been launched. So, so what's wrong with all of that? You've only just adapted it, changed it. Why do you need this as well? Particularly when insurance broking is, is really a low risk um, industry, if you like. So and I think one of the things facing smaller firms is uh, dealing with, smaller brokers that is, is dealing with the amount of regulation and, and making sure that uh, uh, you're actually complying with the, the raft of initiatives coming out of the FCA at the moment. I uh, read recently from um, uh, somebody that we've done some work with in the, in the uh, previous uh, year uh, on compliance is that your average small broker is spending at least four hours a week just wading through the, the different policies and changes and updates, etc., to make sure they're compliant, which is a lot of time when you're wearing very many hats as a, as a smaller firm. It is. I think that um, one of the things that, that we all have to remember about smaller firms is that, that quite often the proprietor is the finance director, HR director, health and safety specialist, IT and systems person, um, and has to deal with all of the conduct and compliance as well. And then when he's not, or she is not doing all of those things, uh, has to actually go and sell whatever it is that they're, they're providing. Um, and you're speaking to that person right absolutely. now. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I, I absolutely get it. You know, you, you, you're there, Sarah, you understand this, you know. Um, but, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the people that set the... Uh, the, the regulation are, are huge corporate entities that, that um, you know, it's not their, it's not their fault. They're, they're established to make sure that clients are treated fairly and, and that there are good customer outcomes. So quite right that they do that. I think we're all in favour of that. Uh, but, but sometimes, and that's the job of the smaller practitioners um, panel, um, is to say, well, you do realise that there probably will be customer detriment because the smaller firms are going to spend all of their time trying to wade through this rather than actually applying it. So uh, it's an important panel. Well, it's that balance, isn't it, between policy and practice. And um, as you rightly say, a lot of policies made with, with larger uh, entities in mind and a lot of the practice is done with the smaller. So I think it's really important to have um, committees like the one you're talking about to, to just to raise that balance and say hang on a minute let's let's just check that this is this is what we want in practice so absolutely it's a, it is a it's a voice directly into the fca to say oh, hold on a minute um you might find that it'd be better to do it this way so mm. you know hopefully it will continue to make a difference so from a, a smaller broker's perspective um would uh joining the fsb or having a conversation with you around this kind of thing uh be something you'd suggest they do if you've got an arm that can help them with a bit of compliance or, or have these conversations listen to their worries etc um, I'd say that m most people join the FSB um, because they've got to that point where uh, they possibly need to um, have one eye on um, things like um, their, their, their sort of HR situation tax situation and, and the the basic 
um, cover that FSB members get, not provided by us, I should add, it's a core of membership, um, is, is around um, looking after things like HR disputes, health and safety, tax audits, all that sort of thing. So if a, if a business is well enough established that they can't afford um, a, a, a finance director or an HR director or whatever, but they need some backing, then I'd, I'd say the FSB uh, will provide you very reasonably uh, that sort of comfort. I think if you're looking for advice uh, with regard to compliance um, and, and so on, there's no better place to be than uh, as a member of BIBA um, because they really are on, on the button as far as uh, what the regulatory requirements are and, and what you should do um, to, to comply with them. And I think I should also probably, for smaller firms, um, uh, and we're a member of one ourselves, uh, give, a, give a shout out to um, the networks because uh, uh, you know, a lot of the networks um, are really improving and improving their, their offering. Um, you know, we're a member of Compass, so I'll, I'll give a shout out to them. My old mate Scott Bennett's the uh, sales director there, and they do a fabulous job. Uh, and again, I, I, I feel I should give a nod to them because they've done a lot of good work for their smaller broker members over the, the last year or so, in particular during these tough times, to provide them with collateral and information to get through it. Perhaps you can intro me to Scott so I can do a, a podcast with him on exactly Absolutely. that topic. Yeah, yeah, he'll, uh, he'll like that. He'll like that. Fabulous. Well, David, I really appreciate your time and your advice uh, and thoughts uh, this morning. It's been really interesting and I'm really grateful to have had you on the show. Fabulous. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have enjoyed what you have heard, have any questions or feedback, please leave us a review and we will be sure to get back to you. If you would like further information on how Boston Tullis Group can support your business, or if you would like to join us on an episode, please do not hesitate to contact us.